A reading from the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling our own tongues the mighty works of God. The word of the Lord. Hey, good morning. Thanks, Leslie, for reading that. Some fun words in there, right? (laughs) Anytime you ask for readers, there's always this question of, um, are there any interesting words? And I had to fudge a little bit when I reached out to people this week. I was like, ah, it's not too bad. Uh, Good to see you. If you're a guest today, my name's Drew. I'm the pastor of discipleship here. And isn't it just good to be together? Um, I'm so excited for us to be together as a church family, especially on this day. In the church calendar, today is Pentecost Sunday, as we look at really the falling of the Holy Spirit in a a powerful and amazing way. And as I was thinking about this passage and and preparing for this today in Acts 2, it reminded me of the first week of Silas's life. That's our uh, first son, our, our only son, our youngest son. He is two and a half years old. And during the first week of his life, obviously, new dad, don't know much of anything, adjusting to everything. And I tend to stay up later at night anyway, so it made sense that I would um, give Laura a break and basically had this window of like 10 p.m., 9, 10 p.m. until about 4 in the morning where I would hang out with Silas. There's a bit of confusion, though, because I interpreted this as Silas isn't really going to sleep So we need somebody to stay awake with him. So what we did, as you can tell by the slide that's up here, is we went through two seasons of Friday Night Lights, the show, in that first week. And Silas didn't sleep. And I didn't think he was going to or supposed to, and I didn't know that I was supposed to be getting sleep and that I actually wasn't supposed to be watching TV with him or stimulating him, but trying to make sure that he slept. And so Laura and her mom started to notice, like, Silas is really cranky. Like, what is happening? And then I shared with her. I was like, I I don't know. We've just been hanging out. We've been watching Friday Night Lights from 10 to 4 in the morning. And you could just see this, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Like, this explains everything. There was confusion on my part. I didn't understand. Why do I share that? Because today's passage, in a lot of ways, is one that we need to have clarity on. As I was reading, one commentary says this, no text in Acts has ever received closer scrutiny than Acts 2. Whole theologies and denominations have been built up around the Acts 2 account. So for us, that means that we need uh, to be very 
clear in what this is saying as we look at it, as we look at what's happening here in this amazing miracle of God so that we don't misinterpret, so that we don't make it something it's not, but that we have a right understanding of the passage. So how do we, how do, we do that? Well, here's how. We start by recognizing that all of Scripture, we believe this, is pointing to the person and work of Jesus from the Old Testament through the New Testament. That it's pointing to the Savior who is coming and then who has come and who is coming again. That the Holy Spirit in His work is always pointing to and illuminating Jesus as Lord in our lives, in us as believers and around us. And, glor- and Jesus in his role, as he makes really clear when he comes, is to glorify the Father, to do the will of the Father. So all three, Father, Son, and Spirit, working in complete, perfect harmony and unison to redeem sinners, to restore hope, which in turn glorifies the Creator God. This belief, combined with a deep desire to read and understand the Bible in context, as the perfect word of God and ultimate authority is a great foundation for us to start and also to remain. So that's what we're going to do today as we walk through this pretty amazing passage in Acts 2. Before we jump in here, let me pray for us one more time. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your work. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing especially what you're doing through the Holy Spirit in us and around us. I pray today as a church, as family, as friends, Holy Spirit, that you would move in a powerful way. I pray that you would fill us and refill us in the hope of the gospel, that you would remind us of who we are in Christ, that you would gift us in ways that builds up the body, that builds up your kingdom, that aligns with your mission? Would you reignite our hearts for those around us because our hearts have been reignited for you in a fresh and a new way? We pray this, and it's only by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. All right, so a little background here. Who is the they that we're talking about? Well, they meaning the 11 disciples plus Matthias, who had been added after Judas. And then we have the mother of Jesus. We have the younger siblings of Jesus plus about 120 disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. And so they're gathered, and they're in this large home together. Jesus, he's now resurrected, and he's instructed the disciples to wait as he has ascended back to the Father. Wait here. The promise of the Father is coming. The Holy Spirit, the Helper, God, is coming. And what's amazing here is he's not saying, hey, it's better that I go, that another comes, and and the other's going to be okay, right? No, no, no. The other is completely God. In fact, the word here is um, elos, meaning another of the same kind. God is going to send God again to be with you, to dwell within you, to work around you. 
It's amazing. And so the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they're expectant. And at the same time, they're waiting. And it says that the day of Pentecost arrived. What is Pentecost? Well, it's this holiday. In the, in the Greek, it means a 50th. And it's used to describe this Jewish holiday known as the Feast of Weeks. It was a big festival. It was the third in the Jewish calendar. The first is Passover, a day when people would gather to remember what God did for his people by releasing them from imprisonment and bondage in Egypt, parting the Red Sea, leading them to the Promised Land. And then the second is the Festival of Unleavened Bread, that the people, as they left Egypt, that they um, survived on unleavened bread for 30 days until God provided manna, real food for them. And then you have this third festival, which is the Feast of Weeks, which is seven weeks after Passover, that they would celebrate the harvest of wheat and barley. Basically, a big old party, right? People who knew God, believed in God, would come. But guess what? Everybody else is coming too, because this is a major rager type of party that's going to be happening here at this festival. So ultimately, this festival is seated in a thankfulness for God's provision, what he would do. And there was a time for worship, and there was a time for caring for the poor. But you have people from all over the Roman Empire, all over the known world, that are gathering together for this festival. And this is where God moves. Here's what happens. Verse 2 tells us, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Imagine this. You're sitting in this house. You're waiting. What is God going to do? We're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting. It says this sound like a rushing wind from heaven. We see pictures of this throughout the Old Testament, God moving and speaking through wind. It's pretty phenomenal that God is being present and he's speaking. You see this in Ezekiel 37, for instance, Isaiah 6, Genesis 2, and other places. And what God is doing here in this sound like rushing wind is what he did in Genesis 2 with Adam and Eve. What he did in Ezekiel 37, which talks about the valley of dry bones, he breathes in new life. And that's what God's always about. He's breathing in new life. And what we're seeing is he's about to do this here. And so as this happened, imagine being the disciples who knew this. It would have clicked with them. This isn't some just random wind. This is God moving in this powerful way. And so as this happened and as they were sitting there, it says in verse 3, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, literally sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, speaking in tongues, here we go. What's the guy that was raised conservative Baptist and then Reformed and kind of Presbyterian, kind of Anglican, going to say about this? I'll tell you what the Bible says about this. The New Testament gives us two examples of speaking in tongues. The first is a non-human language that was given as a gift of the Holy Spirit to certain believers at certain times. You see this in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul talks about this. And in this passage, it tells us that when this happens, 
An interpreter must be present because the person who speaks in tongues, it says, in a given tongue from God is intended, this tongue is intended for the blessing and building up, not of the individual, but of the entire body of Christ. Here's what I'll tell you. I can't explain it. I don't have some amazing answer on how this works or what exactly this looks like. And over the years, I've come to realize that's okay. This awe and mystery in some context of God and what he's doing and how he's working. I would tell you that there's many things about God, what he does, how he does it, that I can't explain. And yet, that doesn't mean we need to fear it. That doesn't mean we need to discount it. But instead, I think approach it with reverence and awe based on what Scripture alone says and sheds light on. And so we see this type of tongue given for the building up of the body, for the blessing of the body, for the church. And then we have this other type, which is mentioned here in Acts 2, which literally means other languages. Other languages that other people would speak that you could absolutely understand. And so that's what's happening here in this passage as the Holy Spirit falls on these people. And it says that it was as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Fire in the Old Testament, if you track it, is almost always used as a judgment. But here it isn't wrath or judgment from God. Instead, here fire from God is a picture of purification, of cleansing, of glory, Don't you love that God isn't only interested in our salvation and justification, but also our sanctification? I mean, he doesn't doesn't just save us and check out, but he wants us to continue to grow. Have you noticed that? If you have a relationship with God, that he's continually pressing on that area of life where he says, I'm not just going to turn my back on you here. I know that this is an area where you need work. I'm going to continue to prod here because I love you, because I'm not leaving you. I know it's not always easy. I know that sometimes you resist. I know that sometimes you push away from me. And yet I care so much about you that I want to make you more like Jesus And this is part of the work that the Holy Spirit does within us, constantly reminding us of who God is, of what Jesus has done for us, of our new identity, of areas in our life which we don't always like to look at, but God wants to do work on. This purification, making us more like himself for our good and his glory. And this is the picture of fire that we see here, is the Holy Spirit, this helper that God has sent, God himself, falls on believers to work in, to work through, to work around them as the broken pieces are put back together, as sinners are saved, as lives are changed. And this work, this amazing work, is exactly what we see next. Verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Wouldn't you be? 
Because each one was hearing them speak in their own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? So they hear this rushing wind, they hear this commotion. It's clear that the disciples have now left this large home. They've gone out into the street, and people are gathered around, and all of a sudden, Different languages are being spoken, and it's not just about the fact that these different languages are being spoken, it's about who was speaking them. People from Galilee. Let me tell you about Galilee, real simple, small fishing town, not exactly known for its diversity or high education. One language being spoken in Galilee. And so imagine being these people from all over, and now you're hearing these very common Folk, we're in the South, I'll say that. Speaking all of these languages, and it's making sense. It's like, oh my gosh, what is happening here? This is unexplainable. Have you noticed this pattern with God? That he uses the normal, everyday, completely flawed, redeemed people in some of the most powerful and unexpected ways to accomplish his mission? He does this throughout all the Bible. It's amazing. Why would God want to use me? What do I have to offer? Have you ever asked that question? I do all the time. I'm too flawed. I'm not good at this area. Maybe I can do this over here. God, can you call me to do this over here? Because I feel more comfortable with that over here. This is exactly what Moses um, thought too. And, And yet God used him to lead his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. This was a murder with a speech impediment. And yet God uses him in this amazing way. Can God use you, whoever you are, whatever age you are? Absolutely. Does God want to use you? Without a doubt. Where you are, as you are, God will use the humble and willing time and time again to make his name great and impact lives for his kingdom. No age limit, no special gifting required. This is the means by which God has chosen to expand his kingdom and to move his mission forward. And so I think it's absolutely fantastic that God chose to have the Holy Spirit fall, not on the most elite, not on those who would have been expected, not on those with the highest education or anything like that, but on these people from a fishing town off the North Coast. There may have been one or two synagogues, and yet God is using them in this amazing way. It says, Here's the fun words, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, um, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygeria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God, and they couldn't explain it. These were people from all over the known world. In modern day, these would have been um, Iranians, Syrians, Italians, Greeks, Libyans, Saudis, Israelites, all together in this place and yet so different, and they're able to hear in their own language. The author Luke doesn't reference it here, but as we read the names of these different groups and their languages of people with all unique languages, it should bring another account to mind. Is there one in the Old Testament that maybe comes to mind? Do you remember the fall in the garden? Well, after that fall of Adam and Eve, things got really, really wonky. And in uh, Genesis chapter 11, we find people trying to build a staircase to heaven. (laughs) That in their pride and arrogance, they wanted 
as Scripture says, we want to make our name great. They wanted to be like God. They thought they could get there themselves. I read this account, or I read this account, um, the Tower of Babel, a few weeks ago to Silas out of the children's, or the Jesus Storybook Bible, or as he calls it, Jesus Book. And, and I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones describes it. Just listen to this. It says, they were trying to live without him, but God knew that wouldn't make them happy or safe or anything. If they kept on like this, they would only destroy themselves. And God loved them too much to let that happen. So he stopped their plans. After that, people scattered all over the world, which is how we ended up with so many different languages to this day. You see, God knew however high they reached, however hard they tried, people could never get back to heaven by themselves. People didn't need a staircase. They needed a rescuer. Because the way back to heaven wasn't a staircase. It was a person. People could never reach up to heaven. Don't miss this. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's the heartbeat of this. So heaven would have to come down to them. And one day, it would. This is the reversal of Babel. We tried to be our own gods, and it didn't work. We tried to reach up to heaven and to prove our worth through good works, white-knuckling, try to earn God's love, and it, it was never enough. We couldn't and still can't do it, no matter how hard we try sometimes. So God, in his love and his kindness, reached down with his son, the author of creation, the perfect king, the unblemished lamb, to take on himself all of our pride, all of our arrogance, all of our mess that we created in the first place. And he would take it with his very life and he would nail it to the cross. And he would offer us the salvation that we always needed and our hearts always longed for, only made possible through his resurrection. And now, now, don't miss it, God is reaching down again. He is reaching down again, not with a new mission, but to expand the mission of Jesus to all people, to bring those who were once scattered back into the family, a diverse family from all walks of life, all races, all backgrounds, man, woman, and child. Isn't this amazing? This is a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. So why tongues? What's really the point here? It says they were hearing what? The mighty works of God. We don't know what all the works of God are that was shared, but you can imagine being in the crowd and maybe hearing some of these, hearing for the first time, imagine this in your own language, stories and accounts. Maybe the story of God and creation. God breathing into existence Adam and Eve. God saving the world through Noah. The mighty works through Abraham as God promises him that through him he's going to bless all the nations of the earth. And here they are, all the nations of the earth gathered. This is phenomenal. The story of how Jesus used a shepherd boy named David to kill a giant who was oppressing God's people. How God shut the mouth of lions to preserve the life of his servant Daniel and to bring glory to his name, the mighty works of God through women like Deborah and Ruth and Naomi and others. 
and the mighty works of God. Let me tell you about the mighty works of God through the person and work of Jesus. He was just here about 50 days ago, and now he's ascended back into heaven, but he sent the Holy Spirit who is now making it possible for you to hear this good news about his life, how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, how much he wants to know you, how much he will take all your brokenness and make it right, how he will fill you with a new hope that it's only through him, it's only through his name. There's no other way, but it's good news for you. You're hearing it in your language today, made possible by God out of love, this good news that it's not based on your ability, your background, your ethnicity, or anything else you do or don't bring to the table, but solely by his unmerited grace that he offers. Hearing these mighty works of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine hearing this for the first time? A miracle of God for a clear purpose, born out of his love for all people. And that brings us to our big idea for today. Because of his unbiased love, God's plan isn't to isolate the gospel to one people, but to spread the gospel to all people. And you and I are part of that all. And so is your neighbor. So is your barista. So is your coworker, family members. And guess what? Just as the Holy Spirit rested on these people so that the gospel would move out, The Holy Spirit indwells in every believer so that the gospel will continue to move out. We need to make sure that we don't get so caught up in this miracle, which is fantastic and amazing and it's unbelievable that we miss the mission. Because the reason for the miracle, for the gift, one of the reasons for the Holy Spirit coming is directly tied to the mission of God, always is. So as we wrap up, let me just ask you this. Who is God putting in front of you to tell of his mighty works? These people from Galilee, these common people on that day spoke the mighty works of God. And what do we even see weeks later? We see thousands coming to Christ, not because of their words, but because of what the Holy Spirit was doing in and speaking through them as he was drawing people back to himself. Because as you turn toward God and he redeems you, he will fill you with the Holy Spirit. For those who are humble and willing to, you should look at this. We didn't have time to get into it today, but look at the word fill. Do a word study on it if you're into that. The filling and constant filling of the Holy Spirit in your life, just as he did here giving you boldness, giving you confidence in Christ to remember who you are and to remember who he's made you to be and what he's made you to do. And you might say, I don't think I have the gift of evangelism. I don't think that's for me. I don't have a Bible degree. Like, why don't you do that? And then you can tell us about it and we'll give you that thumbs up, right? For all of us, for every single one of us who has a relationship with Jesus, Even if you've only been a Christian for 10 days, 10 years, we're now a part of a thing called the priesthood of believers. And we are sent out with a clear mission to make Jesus known. In fact, it's a clear mission of our church, seeking to know Christ and make him known to the one and the many. 
That doesn't mean you have to have a degree in theology. What I would encourage you with today is start with your testimony. What mighty works has God done in your life? How has he changed relationships? How has he mended relationships? How has he done these mighty works in you? How has he healed wounds? How has he broken addictions? How has he restored your marriage? And the list goes on, no matter what age you are. What has God done in your life? Start there. Start by sharing your testimony. Start by talking about Jesus in normal conversation. And then share of his other mighty works that we find in the scripture. Share about Jesus, about the gospel, about the love that God shows through his son. And as you do this, take encouragement and boldness, knowing that you have the Holy Spirit in you and with you. You don't go alone. The same spirit that fell on these 120 or so for the glory of God is the same spirit that is falling on every believer for his continued glory, for our continued good, and the continued expansion of his amazing, diverse kingdom united around the person and work of Jesus. As we go out as a church today, as we go out this week, as we go out this year, May we take confidence and boldness knowing that we don't go it alone, but may we also go incredibly expectant at what God wants to do in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our state, in our world, as his church humbles themselves to him and says, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? Would you give me boldness? I don't always have the, would you speak through me? And here's the beauty. The Holy Spirit is working in and around us, and he will. This is a promise of God. <laughs> what God wants to do more than anything is what he's always wanted to do. He's wanted to bring the wayward back home. A loving father, a loving brother, a loving helper. And what's amazing is we as a church, we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. So take hope. Take encouragement. Take the gospel that it may spread like fire through our city and that the kingdom may continue to expand. Jesus, thank you for your love. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. May we not miss your power, your work, the mission. May we not underestimate what you can do through every single one of us. God, we're all flawed. We all have broken pieces. We have areas of insecurity. Sometimes we doubt our worth. We doubt that you would love us. And yet this is such a beautiful picture of your love for people. People who were once your enemies, you're now calling friend. So may we embrace that truth. May we embrace how far you have gone to bring us back home. And may we have a heart that beats to bring others along with us. Not for our glory, but for your glory. May the kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we celebrate and joy, rejoice at the reunion of believers in this day and in days to come. 
Jesus, it's by you, in you, with you. Thank you for the spirit. We pray all these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.